Hello, and welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we attack our most pervasive fears with truth, because life is too short for any of us to live enslaved. We are passionate about helping God's children live in freedom. We would love to chat with you online or on social media. Visit our show notes to learn how to connect with us. I'm Jennifer Slattery, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Our fears can keep us from living the life God has called us to. They can get in the way of our embracing whatever it is he's called us to if we let them. But we don't have to live enslaved to fear. In fact, we must not. We mustn't temper our obedience with what-if scenarios. We have everything we need in Christ to live the victorious, supernaturally charged, life-changing, history-making life that Christ died to give us. He's already paid the price for our victory. He's given us the Holy Spirit to lead and empower us. The question is, will we walk that out? Will we honor Christ's death by giving our life to him to follow however he leads? Or will we sort of muddle through, forfeiting our impact for comfort, for what's easy or maybe even what's expected? Lately, I have been sitting in awe of where God has brought me over the years. If you've listened to past Faith Over Fear episodes, you might know my story, how I was once a self-destructing, liquor-guzzling mess. From a human perspective, as a high school dropout, former homeless girl, I am the last person God would want to use. And that was precisely why I felt so frightened when I first sensed God's call to write and to speak for Him, something I absolutely did not want to do, not because I don't enjoy writing and speaking, but I was just so afraid. I was afraid of so many things. My emotions were like a tightly tangled wad of yarn. So every time God untangled and dealt with one fear, another one would pop up in its place. And when I say dealt with a fear, I should probably say when he decreased a fear, because there are times I still struggle with many of those fears and insecurities that nearly kept me from living out the life that God had for me, the life God even now is building for me. I do believe God has a hope-giving, life-igniting call for you, one you are uniquely created for. I also believe we can never feel truly alive, truly free, until we discover and surrender to God's plans for our lives. Now, before I get too far, I do want to clarify what I mean by calling. I believe we all have a God-ordained call to know God deeply and intimately and to make him known. That will never change. And that's something we can do in every season and every circumstance, whether we're in college, demonstrating a beautifully counterculture life led by Jesus, a mom with little ones underfoot, an empty nester who suddenly finds ourselves with extra hours to serve, or adding bursts of joy to fellow nursing home residents. In short, our ultimate purpose, wherever we're at, is to worship and glorify God. But he's also given us each unique ways to express our big picture purpose, whether that's as teachers, as police officers who serve and protect, as writers, oversee missionaries, or financial gurus who help fund the oversee missionaries. God has wired us in such a way that we each have a unique fit in God's kingdom. When we serve Christ together, each one doing precisely what God created us to do, beautiful things happen around us and in us. When we shy away from whatever he's assigned, 
our lives begin to feel monotonous, futile. When my daughter was in high school, she began evaluating the world in an effort to discern her place in it. From her perspective, a lot of people were miserable, living in the monotony of unfulfillment, and she wanted to know why. While the answer to her question is more complex than I'll be able to answer today, I told her I believed many times this was because people had given up on their dreams in fear and insecurity. They had chosen what felt certain, what felt guaranteed, over what could be. Over the years, one anxious thought at a time, they had systematically silenced that still, soft voice calling them to more. And like I said at the beginning of this episode, I almost did that and for numerous, numerous reasons, but all of them related to fear. I was afraid of exposure, worried if I ever became published and my name got out, people would begin to connect who I am now with who I once was. And we see that all the time. Someone acted horrifically as a teenager or a young adult. They experience some sort of transformation. They begin a new life, maybe even a life of positive impact, only to watch it shatter when an article comes to light or a witness from their past comes forth. And then not only do they lose everything they've built, but they're publicly shamed as well. And I did not want that. I didn't want that for me. I didn't want that for my family. I had been married for just under 10 years to a respected businessman with Union Pacific Railroad who came from a well-educated and equally respected family, by the way. I homeschooled our daughter, who was, I believe, eight at the time, and we were deeply connected with the homeschool community, a local faith community, our neighborhood. But God was calling me to risk it all for him and for the sake of the gospel. And you see, I knew deep in my spirit, he wasn't just calling me to write novels or inspirational articles. He wasn't just calling me to podcast. He was calling me to write and speak with transparency, to courageously and confidently declare, as 1 Peter 2 verse 9 states, quote, the praises of him who called me out of darkness into his wonderful light, end quote. Now, I didn't mind sharing the beauty and the glory of God's light. I was fine with that part of the call. It was the whole, quote, called me out of darkness part of my testimony that I worked so hard to keep hidden. And I told God that. I told him I would obey so long as no one ever found out about my past. In other words, I put firm conditions on my obedience. But conditional obedience is not obedience at all. And luckily, God did not allow me to remain in that place because had I remained there, I have no idea where my life would be right now, but I certainly wouldn't be spending my time doing things that absolutely nourish and fill my soul and bring me joy. God helped me understand that my disobedience would cost so much more than my obedience ever would first. It cost me intimacy with my Savior. The more I ignored, downplayed, or attempted to explain away the Holy Spirit's promptings, the quieter God's voice became and the more distant he felt until it got to where I couldn't hear him or feel his presence at all. And that was such a dark, dark year that helped me realize how much I needed to remain deeply, intimately connected to him. He also showed me how quickly my soul withered apart from him when I would distance myself from him through my disobedience and how depressing life with a withered soul can be. God also showed me that I was allowing my fear of exposure 
to hinder someone else's salvation. Now, granted, I believe God's sovereign, and he will rescue and redeem mankind, whether I choose to obey him or not. But in remaining silent, I was in essence saying, you know, I value my pride over other people's salvation. If I have to choose between sharing the gospel, which could lead someone to eternal life, or protecting my pride, I choose pride. Now, realizing that, realizing the statement I was really making, that really helped put things into perspective for me. And it provided yet one more spark to ignite my courage. God also caused me to evaluate the proclamations my fears made. We've talked about this in previous episodes, how our fears always make proclamations regarding God, his character, and his desire and ability to care for us. In relation to our calling, Jesus shared one particular story called a parable to illustrate how this might be true. Now, you may have heard this passage or a reference to it. It's found in Matthew 25. And if you have heard it, please don't tune out on me now. I'd like to point out or maybe remind you of some details I find significant. Jesus began the story by telling us about three servants who were entrusted with some money while their master went on a trip. Each servant received a different amount. And it's interesting to note None of them were told what to do with the silver. They were simply given the money, and then the master left. Would that have frustrated you? It would me. I can't tell you how many times I've said to God, okay, just tell me what you want me to do, and please be specific. Be really clear with about 10 to 20 confirmations, if you don't mind, whatever it is, whatever you tell me to do, as long as you're specific, as long as you're clear, and as long as you give me those guarantees, I'll do it, just so long as you tell me. And I feel like he's up in heaven saying, really? Because I already told you to do this thing here, and as far as I can see, you're not moving. Seriously, though, sometimes I just want clear, specific answers, a definite God-ordained game plan. If I do X and then I do Y, eventually Z will happen. And I got to tell you, God and I are pretty close. At least I feel like we are. And he tells me a lot of things, but... More often than not, whenever I'm like, okay, God, I need to know, know, know with certainty, I get divine silence and then the call to surrender. But usually not long after I surrender, I will sense something in my heart. I I will become excited about a story or a Bible study idea or maybe a podcast topic or a blog series will begin to swirl through my brain, drawing me to my computer. So maybe... He's not so silent after all. But notice, usually I surrender first, and then I get my marching orders. And yet, it's one thing to feel the urge to do something, and it's another matter entirely to act on it. And I don't know what, if anything, those servants with the cash felt, but I do know how they acted, all of them, even the one who, according to Scripture, did nothing. Because doing nothing is, in effect, doing something. And many times, not always, but many times, that something is disobedience. And I believe Jesus made that clear in this story of the men who had received the talent. Scripture tells us when the master returned, he called his servants to, quote, give an account of how they had used his money. And that's from Matthew 25, verse 19. So let's stop here. Whose money was it? It was the master's, obviously. Well, if we're consumed with fear, chances are we have taken ownership of something that was never ours to begin with. So think about that for a minute. If we are consumed with fear, chances are we have taken ownership of something that was never ours to begin with. So anyway, the master calls his servants to him and he learned that two of them had done really well. They were faithful to use what they had been entrusted with, however much or however little. 
as best as they could. And notice the master didn't get caught up in the how. He left them to decide how best to use the gift. And he was pleased if they simply used it. So often I can get so caught up in the how. Should I serve in this ministry? Should I join this group blog? Should I write articles? Should I write stories? And while there are times, absolutely, when God will clearly point us in one specific direction or the other, I believe there are many, many times when he's pleased so long as we're moving and are doing our best to honor and serve him, to to know him deeply and to make him known. If that is always our filter, we can trust that we will never go wrong if we're seeking to know Christ deeply and to connect with him intimately and then to make him known, then we can trust that he will lead us step by step. So in the parable of the talents, that's what two of the servants did. They invested what they had been given and the results, their talents and their reach were increased. Their master replied to each of them, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. He said, you have been faithful in handling this small amount. It's really not about how much we've been given, but rather how we use the gifts God bestows. When we use our talents well, whatever gifts and abilities God has given us, when we use them well to their full capacity, I believe God expands our territory, our reach. When we don't, we become like the third servant, a man who chose fear over obedience. Now, if you're familiar with this passage, do you remember why the man was afraid Listen to what he says to his boss. I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. So what kind of statement did his words make regarding his master? Now, it's clear the man going on the journey represented Christ, and Christ was the one telling this story. So in other words, he chose the details, right? So why did he add that phrase? You know, we may say we know who God is. We may talk about how loving and faithful and sovereign and powerful and attentive he is, but do our actions and our thoughts support this? Or are we behaving as if we think he's distant, uninvolved, or maybe even holding out on us, harsh and exacting? I believe that was the third servant's mentality. He believed his master was harsh rather than generous, dishonest rather than faithful, So he grew fearful and he hid what had been entrusted to him. The man's fear was grounded in who he believed his master to be. And clearly the master was not pleased. We read in verses 26 to 29, his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. Now, did you notice that phrase? You ought to have invested my money with bankers, he said. In other words, you should have at least done something. 
Are we like the servant who hid the silver in the ground? Could our fears to use well what God has given us be grounded in our failure to truly understand who God is and who we are in him, who he created and called us to be in everything that he has for us? In John 10, verse 10, Jesus said, quote, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, the thief could have meant the religious leaders of Christ's day who are creating all sorts of burdensome rules and rituals that not only made it hard for people to turn to God, but also weighed them down and enslaved them. Or Jesus could have been referring to Satan, our spiritual enemy, who fueled the Pharisees' elitism and hypocrisy. And maybe he was referring to both. There are many things, and, and even people, who threaten our freedom in Christ, who, who hold us back, or at least attempt to hold us back from becoming everything we are created to be and doing everything God assigns. Satan, who speaks lies, telling us we'll never reach that dream or goal God planted in our heart. Other people who maybe don't understand the power and provision of our God, who don't understand that the God who set galaxies into motion can easily perfect all that concerns you and I, as Psalm 138 verse 8 states, who maybe these people maybe fill our ears with more criticism than encouragement. But many times we squelch our dreams ourselves by replaying all our past failures and mistakes and focusing on our weaknesses rather than all we have in Christ. We begin to treat Christ's promise of a beyond expectation life as a hyperbole, something fun to say when sharing the gospel with others rather than a truth to aspire to and live by. And many times we allow our shiny yet superficial world to confuse us regarding what our souls truly need in order to thrive. And so we're afraid. We're afraid if we follow God's call in a certain area, we might have to give up that new car or that fancy home or that luxurious vacation, not realizing the life God offers us goes so much deeper and brings something much more precious than a moment of happiness. He promises us joy, soul-strengthening joy, which can only be found in him. To understand what I mean, I encourage you to grab a copy of Holy Love's latest Bible study, Unshakable, Unbreakable Joy. It's available on Amazon. The weekly videos, the large group discussions, and the daily lessons will help you steadily trade monotonous living for the joy-filled adventure God calls us each to, an adventure worth our complete surrender. Just over 2,000 years ago, a fisherman named Simon Peter, he was cleaning his nets after presumably a long and disappointing night. I imagine he and his partners were tired. They were hungry, anxious to head home, to sleep off their fatigue before embarking on yet another strenuous day of fishing. But on that particular day, Jesus approached, bringing a throng of people with him. Upon seeing Simon's empty boat, Jesus got in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Luke 5, verses 4 through 5 tell us, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. In other words, I've already tried, God. I've done everything I've known to do, and I have failed. I don't see how this time will be any different. But because you say so, I'll obey. That's the place we need to get to as well. It doesn't matter what we've tried in the past. It doesn't matter how many times we failed, how empty the quote-unquote lake appears, or how illogical God's command appears. 
When God calls us to something, all those things and a thousand obstacles as well are irrelevant. This passage reveals that, recording the results of Simon's obedience in verses 6 to 7, which state, When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now notice, they didn't just catch some fish, maybe enough for that day's meal or that day's wage. They caught so much fish, both boats began to sink. God overwhelmed them with proof of his power and provision. But then, notice how this story ends. Upon seeing all these fish, Simon freaked out. And he told Jesus to leave, stating, quote, I am a sinful man. In other words, I'm not worthy of your blessing, God. And maybe you feel that way, that you're not worthy to walk out whatever call God has placed on your life. If so, I have great news for you. None of us are worthy of God's goodness. None of us are worthy to be used by the King of Kings, but he showers his grace upon us anyway. And he invites us to play a part in his life-saving mission, not because you and I are good, but because he is good. And then he calls us to share that same grace that he bestowed upon us with others, just as he did with Simon during that life-changing encounter. Don't be afraid, Jesus told him. From now on, you will fish for people. In response, verse 11 tells us, so they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything and followed him. At the height of their career, when they'd landed the catch that exceeded all possible dreams, they left it all to follow Jesus because they found in him something so much better than temporary success and filled to overflowing boats. In answering God's call, they discovered in Christ filled to overflowing life. God invites each of us to that same beyond expectation adventure, but we won't experience it if we remain standing in our little boats clinging to our fish. We must be willing to let that go, trusting that God's plans for us are so much better than anything we can dream up on our own, and trusting that he will give us everything we need to do all that he asks. I find it interesting that Jesus called Simon back to his point of failure. He had spent the entire night trying in his own strength to catch fish, and he had failed. The results were vastly different, however, when the assignment came from Christ. The lake that had been a place of failure became a place of abundance, the place where the miracle occurred. And God did the same with Moses, the shepherd turned liberator, whom God used to free his people from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. So scripture tells us that one day Moses left the palace that he had been raised in, And he went to visit his people, the Hebrews, and he saw their slavery. He saw how cruelly they were oppressed. And Exodus 2 verse 11 states, during his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. Well, somehow word got out because verse 13 goes on to state the next day when Moses went to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend? Moses said to the one who had started the fight. The man replied, who are you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Well, Moses, this kind of freaked him out, and he was thinking, okay, everybody knows what I did, and indeed that was true. Well, I don't know about everybody, but at least the Pharaoh knew what he had done, and he tried to kill Moses. So Moses fled, and he spent 40 years in Midian tending sheep. So he left his homeland, 
He left his people. He left whatever plans he had for his life. And he lived in hiding basically for 40 years. And he he began to develop a whole new life. But after 40 years, God called him back to his place of failure, stirring that deep passion for justice that had led to his actions decades before. But this time, God would go with him. God would direct and empower him. And the results would be vastly different. And they were vastly different. And maybe that's where you're at now. Maybe you're kind of in your place, your your Midian, so to speak. Maybe you've tried something in the past and you failed. And now you're afraid to move forward. You're afraid if you do, you'll only fail again. And maybe you feel like you have more at stake this time. But remember what I said earlier, when God calls us, everything else is irrelevant. He will lead and empower us and fulfill the plans he has for us. So how do we know when he's calling us to something like he did with Moses through the burning bush we read about in Exodus chapter 3, which is when God gave him his assignment, or when we're rushing forward in our will and our strength? We learn through surrender. That's how we best hear God. We begin with surrender, saying, Lord, everything I am, I give to you. Throughout the years, and especially when I'm uncertain or confused, I have relied on Romans 12, verses 1 to 2, which state, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we begin by offering ourselves, our thoughts, our time, our desires, our dreams, our concerns, our fears, everything, every part of us to God as an act of worship, as a living sacrifice. And we prioritize our time with him through prayer and Bible reading. And as we do, he begins to transform our thinking so that his thoughts become our thoughts. And the result, we come to know his good, pleasing, and perfect will, just like verse 2 states. And when our hearts are pliable and surrendered to God, and his thoughts permeate our minds and our souls, our feet naturally Follow. We begin to live naturally in his will. At each moment, we can choose his will or ours, and we will experience the fruit of those choices. Consider this quote by Gordon T. Smith, author of Courage and Calling. Living well, surely, is a matter of taking seriously the life that has been given us, the opportunities and challenges that are unique to us, to our lives, our circumstances. Taking our lives seriously means that we respond intentionally to these circumstances and transitions in life. The glory of God, Gordon T. states, is the human person fully alive. And like I said earlier, we won't fully come alive until we're doing that which God has assigned, living directed and empowered by him. As Ephesians 2 verse 10 puts it, and this is the New Living Translation, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And notice, God does the planning and assigning. He has the authority to assign our calling. As Gordon T. goes on to state when he writes, quote, but my vocation, so and in his book, he uses vocation and calling synonymously, but my vocation, he says, comes from God. It is not something that I choose or that someone else can give me or take away from me. I think that's very important. It's not something someone else can give me or take away 
away from me. There's such peace in knowing that our call is not dependent on someone else's perception or someone else's actions. Whether we think they're withholding or granting us an opportunity is irrelevant when it comes to the call of God. Our vocation, our calling is not dependent on anyone else. It is dependent on Jesus Christ, our Savior, and I believe our obedience to his call because our call is something that we can humbly obediently accept or it's something that we can reject. That's a choice we each must make. So what's God calling you to? And what might you need to surrender in order to take that next courageous step? Do you trust God to catch you when you jump and to give you everything you need? Do you trust that the life he's calling you to is so much better, so much richer and more fulfilling than anything it might cost or you might be leaving behind? Thank you for listening. I hope today ignited a fire within your soul to courageously pursue the amazing life-giving adventure God has planned for you. Because I know with certainty, he does have amazing things planned for you. He doesn't expect you to figure everything out. He's simply asking you to take that next step. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. Then you won't miss a single episode. Share it with your friends and make sure to rate it. That encourages us and it helps others to find it. Until next time, may you live with the courage of one who truly has been set free. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Faith Over Fear, a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. To learn more about Jennifer Slattery or to check out any of the resources she mentioned in this episode, just head over to her website, jenniferslatterylivesoutloud.com, or check out our show notes. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more Faith Toolkit podcasts like this, just head over to lifeaudio.com. Have you ever felt conflict between your faith and feelings? If so, you're not alone. My name's Carly Mercouillier. I'm a licensed therapist and the host of the Therapy and Theology podcast, where we explore popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. I want to invite you to join me every Thursday as we fearlessly name the complexities of our reality, grow in the awareness of who we are, and rediscover the power and purpose of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. Subscribe today at lifeaudio.com.